It's Thursday, January 25th, and this is the 1909, the state news' weekly podcast featuring our reporters talking about the news. I'm your host, Alex Walters. This week, we'll first hear about an ongoing faculty union push that promises to restore professors' power and MSU's decision-making. Then, we'll hear about the university's plans for the upcoming one-year anniversary of the February 13th campus shooting. This is the first show of the new semester, and we are very excited to be back and even more excited to be coming to you in video for the first time. So hello if you're watching, and also hello if you're listening. You just can't see the waving. Uh, and with that, let's start the show. All right. Well, Owen, thank you so much for coming back. It's always great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Alex. Yeah. So, Owen, you have been doing some great reporting the last couple of weeks about this big unionization push at MSU. Before we get into any of the things you found, can you explain a little bit, because with academic staff, I think it can be kind of confusing, the you know, tenure track, non-tenure track, adjunct, all that. When we talk about a tenure track faculty union, what exactly that means? Who is exactly trying to unionize? Yeah. So the key distinction to make here um, is that there's been a union for a while, an existing union of non-tenure track faculty. Yeah. Uh, and these are the people that, you know, it's more teaching focus in the classroom with the students. That's not to say that tenure system faculty aren't also in the classroom, yeah. but perhaps not as much. So it's more research focused. They're writing, they're researching, things like that. I see. And so these, you know, these professors, they've been they've been pushing for this unionization thing. And I think as far back as November when I started pushing for it, and I try and explain just how, how big of a deal this seems like to people that follow MSU, you got to talk about academic governance, mm -hmm. right? And right now we have this system with like a faculty senate where they kind of have, they have a representative body where you have, you know, uh, members and they talk about things and they vote on them and they pass resolutions, but they're, they're non-binding. You know, right. And I think the analogy that some of the leadership of the union gave me is that they can make a resolution that says, this is what the faculty thinks you need to do in the administration, and then they can just kind of put it in a drawer and forget about it. Exactly. There's no teeth to it. Exactly. And I think from the beginning, there's been this idea that, wow, this union, um, this would be a big deal because it would give these tenure-track faculty some real, some real say, some real power, some real teeth <laughs> that they don't really have with this sort of shared governance we currently have with these representative sort of non-binding bodies like the Faculty Senate. Um, but you've kind of been following this more closely. Can you tell us where exactly they are right now? It's been a couple months since this push has been uh, announced publicly. Yeah, so, um, you know, in November, they kind of started their campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, it's gotten to a point where they had collected enough cards, mm -hmm. um, authorization cards, to say we have a majority. And a majority is what they need to be recognized in the eyes of MSU. Yeah. Um, so they, they formally requested recognition from the Board of Trustees. Uh, and they did this in late December, actually when we were on winter break. So now they're sort of... <clears throat> they're sort of waiting to hear back on that. Uh, and it's interesting, with this process, um, there's actually two different tracks that they can go. Hmm. And there's you know a policy that kind of makes it this way. But the track that it seems like they're pursuing right now is just going with MSU and trusting that they are going to voluntarily recognize them. So the university can opt to just say, you know, we believe you've legitimately done this mm -hmm. and your union, we recognize mm -hmm. you. Yeah, you know, it's complicated. Um, essentially, that's what it is but they would still go through a verification process. Yeah. But the idea is they would say, your bargaining unit is, quote, reasonable. That's mm -hmm. in the policy. So if they make a determination that the bargaining unit is reasonable, then they'll go ahead and say, okay, it's fine. We're gonna pick a third party that we mutually approve, and yeah. they're gonna verify this, but other than that, we're good. The other track, though, um, which they've also been pursuing, but it seems like it's going on the back burner a little mm -hmm. bit, is to go through the Michigan Employment Relations Commission. Uh, which is a state government body that you know solves labor-related issues and also certifies unions. And that body has been uh, involved in higher education unionization pushes for a long time. 
Uh, and basically the way it works for them is if they get, if, if they can verify that 30% of the bargaining unit is on board, hmm. then they'll administer an election. And then at that point you need majority in order to be certified in the eyes of Merck. But as it stands right now, the union of tenure system faculty is going more with the route where they're just going with MSU and trusting that MSU is going to accept that their bargaining unit is reasonable and then recognize the I see. And they already have cards of support from, because I think the bar for the MSU process, it's just a simple majority, right? Like more than 50%. So they don't feel like they have to go through a whole election process like you might see. Yep. I see. And, And that was sort of the argument, you know, when this resolution was passed back in 2021 that was controversial. The idea from the Democrats' point of view was that it expedited the whole unionization process because we've seen other universities where it's taken over a year to get yeah. these unions rec- we'll, we'll go back a minute and talk us through this resolution because mm-hmm. it's something that I think is interesting where they, you know, we've seen this nationally at, you know, I think more and more schools as time goes on where tenure track faculty are unionizing. But MSU has this board resolution that sort of uniquely positions the faculty to have sort of an easier time of doing this. Can you talk through? that the politics of that in 2021 when it was passed what exactly it does beyond just kind of the way that you can get 50 percent go through msu but also the neutrality stuff and all that yeah so you're right it, it does a couple things um it was passed along party lines um you know at the time it was five democrats who supported it three republicans who opposed it mm-hmm. um basically one of the main things that it does is it establishes employer neutrality Um, which basically says, and I'm going to read from it here, the university and all of its agents acting in a supervisory role shall remain neutral on the issue of union representation in any organizing efforts. Uh, And it also says they shall not express an opinion positive or negative about such efforts. Yeah, so that's that's one of the key things it does. And then it also says that, um, you know, the university won't do anything to retaliate against any efforts. And it also, one key thing is it says, um, it says that... The university can only provide information to the union that is legally um, that strictly that is legally permissible. Okay, so it's kind of limited. They really can't say much. And then it also gives the university the ability to correct any inaccuracies that the union may publish, mm-hmm. but they have to wait two days to do that. Mm. So that's you know uh, the neutrality is kind of the biggest element of it. I see. And you said that that was it was passed along party lines by MSU's board that there were people in opposition to it. That's exactly right. So you know the the three Republicans at the time were against it, um, and basically what their argument was was that it muzzled the muzzled. That's a direct quote um, mm-hmm. from. I want to be exactly accurate. I believe it was Dan Kelly at the time. Who's still who's now vice chair of the board? That's exactly right. But that it would muzzle the the administration, sort of in um, trying to stop a unionization effort or. Right. So it was saying, you know, we can't even, it was saying we can't even have a discussion with the people who are trying to create this union. Mm. So we can't even provide them information, opinions. If we do want to provide information, we're very limited in that. So yeah, the argument was that the administration was just largely muzzled and taken out of the whole negotiation process in many ways. I see. But of course, you know, MSU's board is, you know, predominantly democratic and it did pass. That's right. Uh, in 2021 and is in place today. But you've been, you know, over the last couple of weeks, as they've been trying to go through this MSU process, right, of getting recognized as a reasonable bargaining group, um, you've heard from some of the union leaders that there are some concerns about the way that MSU is handling this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, questioning, is the university truly being neutral or are they doing things to sort of slow or stall this process can you talk me through 
mm-hmm. those concerns, starting with this list that you wrote a lot about the, in the law firm? Yeah. So there is this thing that is called technically an Excelsior list. I didn't use that term in the story because it just sounds kind of silly. So it's a bargaining unit list. It mm-hmm. means the same thing. Um, and basically what it is is a list that an employer is expected to provide in these negotiations that shows in their eyes who is a part of this bargaining unit. Yeah. Um, and there's some you know, discrepancies, in, and this is not just at MSU. Um, you know, I, I talked to an expert for the story. He said it's very common where, you know, especially for something like this where it's supposed to be tenure-track faculty, mm-hmm. you know, there's discrepancies about who's considered a part of that unit. So the union has kind of said, what if they try to say that the president is a part of this bargaining unit, right? Mm. Because technically, you know, Kevin Guskowitz, who will be, you know, coming in, he was, when he was appointed, he was also, you know, given a position as tenure-track faculty uh, in the Department of Kinesiology. That's interesting, because so many of these administrator contracts that you see at MSU, they'll be appointed to, you know, the dean or the, you know, associate vice provost for associate of whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, and then it'll also be, you know, faculty in whatever department they come from. So I can see there's sort of discrepancies in who's really in the group and who's not. Right. And, but there's also, so that's an example of maybe what if the university's too inclusive uh, in the opinion of the union, but there's also what if they try to exclude people who, you know, they're tenure track faculty, but they also have some administrative appointments, such as they're a department chair, chair. Mm. Uh, they're a director of a college. Um, which, you know, what, what Nicole Buchanan, uh, an organizer, told me is that, you know, just because they have a small percentage of administrative duties doesn't mean they're supervisors, right? They're yeah. still a part of that tenure track unit. So those are some of the discrepancies. Um, but then there were also, um, the union has ex- expressed some concerns over how long it has taken for that list to come to fruition. Mm. Um, so it's a little bit of a he said, she said situation, but the union claims that they first requested the list all the way back in late November. Uh, mm-hmm. At that point, they hadn't you know, filed with Merck, they hadn't formally requested recognition, but they were sort of trying to get their ducks in a row, I guess, yeah. in a sense, and get that list early. Um, and union organizers have told me that you know, the attorneys representing the two parties were talking about it, um, but that at a certain point, MSU's attorneys stopped returning calls mm-hmm. and the list never came to be. But it's unclear if MSU um, was required to provide that list at that time, and it's also possible that given the neutrality agreement, it, restrict, it would have restricted them from providing the list at that time, especially mm. given that there was an absence of, um, you know, formal rec, um, a formal request for recognition at that time. I, so there's a disagreement over, you know, when exactly that even could have gotten that list to start really exactly. going through line by line and saying who supports yeah. and who doesn't. And then you talk about another really interesting thing I liked about your story was this idea of the law firm that's representing MSU, some concern amongst the union leadership mm-hmm. around exactly who it is that's helping the university with this. Can you talk me through that? Yeah, so, you know, I was having a conversation with Nicole Buchanan at one point, and, and she just flagged for me, you know, the, the website of Ogletree Deacons, um, which is a, a New York-based law firm um, that is representing MSU in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, if you go on their website, um, it, it, it notes that um, the firm has more than 200 attorneys specializing in higher education who provide highly responsive legal services in the area of union avoidance, among mm. other areas. So it's it's bullet points. It says we have all these attorneys. Here's what they specialize in. Um, and union avoidance is one of those things, which raised some concerns. They uh, feel like that's, you know, hiring a, a union avoidance firm is contrary to the idea of the neutrality that's in that board resolution. Exactly. Um, and, you know, University Communications, um, Emily Garana, spokesperson for MSU, told me that, you know, 
it's MSU is completely confident uh, in, in the firm that they selected in that, you know, everything's going forward and it's okay. But, but yes, it did raise some concerns. And then also, you know, specifically the profile of one of the attorneys um, representing MSU, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got this extensive profile on the site. Um, and it, it, one thing that raised some concerns is he specializes in providing preventative legal advice to help companies develop positive labor relations strategies and avoid labor organizing. Mm. So that was another thing. Um, so yeah, th that was kind of what the concern was there. Yeah. And what is the what's the outlook now? You know, they've gone through I guess about a month now of trying to work with the university on this process. They feel um, as if the university maybe isn't a hundred percent acting with this true you know neutrality. Um, but how do they feel now going forward about you know getting this done? Yeah. So you know. I think they're optimistic. I, I know at least that Nicole Buchanan is optimistic. Um, they are scheduled to meet with MSU's HR department uh, actually on the 25th. Mm -hmm. um, and originally, you know, there was a different meeting that was scheduled that was supposed to involve Merck. And that was, like I mentioned, there's sort of the two separate processes yeah. that they're pursuing. So now it looks like, based on this meeting, that they're more so pursuing this route with the university. Um, so that meeting is scheduled for the 25th. Um, Kathleen House, who's an organizer with Michigan Education Association, which is a statewide union and UTSF yeah. is a local affiliate. She says she's hopeful that, you know, it's really that's going to be a productive meeting where they go forward um, with the voluntary recognition process. And um, yeah, they're also hopeful. You know, Nicole Buchanan told me that trustee Dennis Denno um, met with the union and, you know, to put it in her words, um, she said it was informal. It was him as an individual, not the full board of trustees, but he very much seems to be a supporter of our efforts and the good we're trying to do at the university. How does that coincide with sort of the neutrality that they agreed to? Yeah, so that's, that's complicated. Um, it's largely unclear. Um, and like I said, the neutrality agreement does say that, you know, no university agent acting in a supervisory role can, you know, pr can express any opinion um, for or against uh, the union. Hmm. And, and according to them, he is expressing this opinion that's sort of for them. Um, it also is unclear, you know, how, if the board necessarily like approved this. And like she said, it's not really the whole board speaking. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of him as an individual. So it's, it's largely unclear at this point how that kind of coincides with the neutrality. That's opinion. interesting. All right. Well, this is, you know, as we said, this is something that's set to really kind of reshape the discourse at MSU. This is going to be a powerful force. So thank you so much for doing, you know, so much great reporting on it so that we can be kept up on all the details. Yeah. And thank you for coming on the show and talking about it. Yeah. Thanks for having great me. Great to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, Emilio, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's great to have you again. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we are, you know, we're um, nearing the one year anniversary of the February 13th shooting on MSU's campus. And, you know, we've known for a little bit now that the university is going to have sort of something in store for that, but we haven't known exactly what. Um, but you, we found out this week they made an announcement, right? Yeah, and you're right. For a long time, we didn't know the specific details. But on Friday, um, a campus-wide email got sent out by Teresa K. Woodruff, mm -hmm. kind of explaining what that day is going to look like specifically. Yeah. And so can you give us sort of the biggest picture I took away um, was that it truly is going to be sort of a day of remembrance, I guess the intention, right? Classes will be canceled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I spoke with uh, Emily Grant and she said that all undergraduate classes would be canceled and that mm -hmm. includes other uh, campuses besides the East Lansing one. Oh, really? Um, there were some specific graduate classes that had requirements and those may run on that day, but the vast majority of classes will not be running on February 13th. I see. And what does the university have planned as far as, you know, I saw there's some sort of events, some spaces that are being created for students to really take advantage of sort of a day of 
reflection on this campus? Yeah, so the email outlined what were called reflective spaces. Mm -hmm. And you know, my understanding is that there will be spaces with counseling support for students who are uh, need that additional help on that day. And they'll be set up, again, around campus. I see. So there's spaces where students can just kind of come, um, reflect their use of counseling, mm -hmm. talk through things. Yeah. And what about you know sort of structured events? There you know a, a vigil, some sort of you know speeches, that kind of thing, like we saw last February. Yeah, so there's a couple things planned out for that day. Mm -hmm. um, ASMSU, in collaboration with the Center for Community Engaged Learning, is planning on a day of service, and so that'll be kind of focused around MSU's campus in the East Lansing area. Mm -hmm. And that evening, there will be a again like a remembrance event by the Spartan statue, running from 7:30 to 9:30. Yeah. And then what about, you know, aside from just this day, you got some information last week about some of these more kind of permanent spaces for remembrance of this tragic event. There's a couple of memorials, it looks like. Yeah, so there's two of them specifically. Uh, one was a memorial bench that was donated last April by ASNSU. It was the student government. Yes. Yeah. And the idea for that is that they're going to be constructing what seems like a small plaza near uh, Berkey Hall. Mm -hmm. And you know that'll feature the bench alongside some additional landscaping that'll be hopefully finished before spring graduation. Yeah. And additionally, there has been thought of a February thirteenth permanent memorial planning committee that has kind of been formed from a, a, an amalgamation of students, faculty, and other community members. And um, this will be sort of a separate memorial, not the bench, but like a yes, larger, more permanent. A separate, I see. A separate memorial, and they're still trying to figure out what that space is going to look like specifically but they did announce that a survey would be coming out later in the winter to decide what to finally do with that. I see, so students and stuff can kind of uh, get input on what they want to see from that memorial. Yeah, and using that input, they'll uh, figure out what artist proposal to then send out to uh, figure out what eventually to do. I see. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us through this. Yeah, it's always great to have you. Of course, thanks for having me. That's all for now, but we'll be back next week with fresh reporting from the great minds here at the State News. Until then, the stories we discussed and plenty more are available at statenews.com. Thank you to our incredible podcast director, Anthony Brinson, my guests, Owen and Emilio, and most of all, thank you for listening. For the 1909, I'm Alex Walters.